Whilst you're waiting for the next episode of Travel, Food and Booze, have a listen to an episode of our previous podcast, Our Lives in Italy. Welcome to the second episode of Our Lives in Italy. Today we've got the pleasure of chatting with Valentina Harris. What she doesn't know about Italian food and cooking probably isn't worth knowing. Educated in Italy, Valentina arrived in London from Rome in 1976. She's still a regular face at food festivals in the UK and shares her expertise and love of Italian food by hosting courses and contributes to radio, TV, newspapers and magazines. So make your coffee of choice, grab a snack and settle back as we talk about all things Italian with the wit, the raconteur and original queen of Italian cooking, Valentina Harris. Okay, hello Valentina, thank you for joining me today. How are you today? Buongiorno, si tutto bene, all si- good. Yeah, tutto bene here too. Grazie, grazie mille. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. Nice to meet you, so even, if it's, even if it's only virtually. No, pleasure, pleasure's definitely all mine. Obviously, you know, I've, I've grown up sort of watching you, um, as you can tell by my grey hair. I'm on the older side these days. So I sort guess. Of, so I've grown up and watching you on TV and sort of got to know you that way. From what I've read, um, it, it probably you could be sort of described as maybe not having a, a typical childhood. So, so, no. not, not, <laughs> so not, one, not one to get all Freudian about this, but tell me about your childhood. Well, uh, <laughs> well as you can hear, I, I don't have uh, an Italian accent. I mean, people who've never met me, but who've, who've read me uh, or who've never heard me speak, think I'm going to sound like Gina da Campo's mother and then they're quite surprised when I've actually got this, you know, Radio 4 presenter voice. And uh, in my case, you entirely have to blame the parents, Craig. My, um, my darling resistance fighting, fake document printing, gun running mother met my fine upstanding British Army officer dad at the end of the war in Italy and uh, they fell madly in love. What can I tell you? It was the most unlikely union, but they fell wildly in love with each other and um, they settled in Italy. And uh, my mother caused this massive family scandal by, uh, by, by you know, marrying the wrong person, basically. <laughs> I mean, you know, he was British, he was Protestant. He didn't have any money and worst of all, you know, he'd been married before and had two children. So, you know, there was as, as far as <laughs> as far as polite society of the time was concerned, you know, yeah. he had absolutely nothing to recommend him. Yeah. So um, didn't didn't tick all the didn't tick all the boxes, perhaps. <laughs> no, no, back then, you know, that, that really would you know. So basically they sort of lived this uh, this this slightly isolated existence. Um, out out in the country, first uh, outside Milan, and then they moved to uh, to uh, to Tuscany, to this old rundown house in Tuscany, and also lived. We also lived in Rome because my father had set up a family business at the end of the war, teaching English as a foreign language and opened the first school in Milan and then went on and opened lots more around the country. So um, that, that, you know, that was what, what the business was. And when I say that was what the business was, I mean, you know, he recruited the teachers, he wrote the books, he, he edited the books, <laughs> you know. So practically made the furniture, you know, it was, it was one of those. 
And, and uh, so, and he was very peripatetic by father. You know, he always liked to do, you know, so we were never quite sure whether we were going to be in Tuscany or in Rome or in Milan or back in England or, you know, whatever. It was very much like that. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I basically grew up between Rome and, and Tuscany uh, with, with my parents um, and all my brothers. And uh, it was an absolutely idyllic and wonderful and very different kind of childhood. <laughs> um, uh, mainly because there was very little formal education, I think. Um, you know, my, my father, because of his, uh, his, this, this thing about moving us from A to B all the time, we could never really settle in a, in a school properly. There were tutors, there were that sort of thing. But I think my mother sort of put her foot down when my brothers were in their early teens. I think she'd had enough at that point. As, and, as, uh, as, as wives do, yes, definitely. <laughs> so um, my father, in 1952, my father opened St George's English School in Rome, okay. which is still there to this day. Uh, but he opened it because my brothers needed a formal education. And so all these, you know, young recruits from England arrived. These uh, newly, newly qualified uh, teachers arrived from England. And uh, then when my brothers uh, moved on and went to boarding school in England, my father got rid of the school, as was his wont. You know, he sort of, you know, did that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, got bored, you know, moved on. Yeah, and me, you know, I, I needed an education now. So at this point, he enlisted the help of my marvellous aunt, Aunt Leonora, okay. who had never actually had a formal job in her entire life. And had, I don't think had ever been to Italy other than to visit for a short holiday. And she was brought out by my dad to set up the junior English school on the Via Piantica in Rome where for at least the first term, I was the only student with my aunt. And again, this coterie of marvellous young graduates from, you know, English teacher training colleges who, you know, couldn't believe their luck that they'd landed this plum <laughs> job with this mad eccentric, you know, uh, English woman on this, in this beautiful part of Rome, on the Via Piantica, in this glorious mm. villa, you know. And the school sort of was created organically. And gradually, you know, obviously more and more um, students joined and it became very successful and a second school was opened up. And, uh, yeah, that, that, was my, that was my upbringing and my education. And, you know, these long holidays and long weekends in Tuscany and then long periods in Rome. And then occasionally it would be, you know, right, OK, we're all going over to England. You know, we're going to England. <laughs> so all pile in the car and come over yeah. here, you know, experience some rain. And, you know, we're done. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it sort of sa it sounds like you know it got to the stage sometimes where you know you, you just opened your eyes in the morning and thought right okay where are we this morning basically. That's <laughs> <laughs> quite as bad as that. But, uh, but yeah, it was it was certainly it was certainly different, you know, um, and uh, and it was wonderful. And I learned in in Tuscany there was a, a wonderful old guy. Well, he wasn't so old then. But there was a man called Bettino who had been living in amongst the ruins of this house when my parents had taken it over. Okay. Uh, they took it over in 1947. 
arrived, so now 47, 48, and he and a group of other Italian soldiers who had become uh, displaced and separated from the platoons, are not quite sure still. I mean, you have to remember, it's very difficult when you try and explain this to people who don't understand what life was like before mass communication. Yeah, exactly. These days you'd get a tweet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <and> <laughs> You know, it, for people to know who was actually in charge in the very rural parts of the country, it took a long time, you know. Yeah. They still weren't very sure whether they were supposed to be Heil Hitlering or, or saluting, you know. Yeah. It, it's, it's sort of just like, you know, it's, as you said, it's like the, you know, the story of the Japanese soldier who remained up a tree in the jungle somewhere in Japan for about 30 years and wouldn't believe people when they came to sort of tell him that the war was over. Yes. Then, yeah. yeah. As you probably know, eventually they found his, the, the corporal in his regiment and it was only then that he was sort of talked down from the trees yeah. and then, yeah. then surrendered. Uh, it wasn't quite as bad as that, but, but, <laughs> but he and his mates had lived there for a while. So my parents turned up and my dad, who was originally from Sheffield, went into this, you know, when I say he was originally from Sheffield, he was actually Dutch-Irish, but that's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> and, uh, he sort of went into, you know, my, an Englishman's home is his castle kind of mode and threw them all out, but kept Bipino on. Okay. okay. And Bipino was the greatest influence on my career of all, because Bipino knew about, he'd been a chef before the war, Ah. I completely adored this man uh, and followed him around the whole time. And he taught me about growing things and planting things and harvesting things and how to make wine and how to make grappa, which he was very good at. And, uh, <laughs> Surprisingly. <laughs> keeping, keeping chickens, you know, keeping rabbits, um, cooking all sorts of incredible skills and I learned them from him from a very very early age and he was absolutely he was my leading light you know I don't think I'd be doing what I'm doing now and have done for the whole of my career were it not for him yeah I, mean, I, th I think you know as you said it's it's a case of you know as you said you had him as your guiding light and your sort of teacher for these sort of things um, one of the things I've noticed here in Italy is that you know the connection that families have to their food. Food is, you know, one of the religions over here. Oh my goodness, absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, I mean you, 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 you might imagine as a visitor to Italy that all those really intense conversations that people are having on their mobile phones are about important stuff. Well, it is important stuff, but it's actually about food. Yeah. <laughs> and they're talking about food, which is very, very important, but you might imagine that, you know, they're, they're sort of planning world domination from the, you know, it, 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 I was stuck on a beach in, in Calabria, actually, a couple of summers ago when it was still possible to be there. On a very, very hot July day, I was stuck on the beach, dying to throw, go run down the sand and throw myself in the sea. I was so hot. <laughs> and I was surrounded by five families and they were all having, you know, sort of a couple of meters away from me in, in all directions on the beach, under their beach umbrellas. And they were all discussing separate recipes yeah. and way of cooking things. And I had to hear the end of all of these. I was, I was you know, recording them in my head. 
And I had to hear the end of all the rest of it before I could get up. And I nearly melted on the sand. Boys, <laughs> to go. But I had to hear the end, you know, the final bit of the technique. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. It is, you know, more than a religion. Yeah. It, it's, you know, it's, it's, you see everybody, I mean, you know, thankfully now the, the beaches have reopened here. So we can go down to the beach. But you see them, you know, you can see them looking at their watch and then 12 o'clock. Completely deserted. You look up from your sunbed, and you're the only person on the beach. Mad dogs and Englishmen. Exactly. <clears throat> you know, my wife. <laughs> my, my wife sat there going, "We've paid for the sunbed. We're going to use it." It's like, no. <laughs> it's like, no. Oh, that's so English. <laughs> but but yeah. You know, but my maybe maybe my body hasn't sort of got into Italian yet. Can't appreciate the heat. But one thing that has turned Italian is my stomach. When it right. when it gets to twelve o'clock, it rumbles and tells me that it's lunchtime. But yeah, yeah. So I mean, obviously, we said as well that you know these these yeah, Italians have this connection with food. Do you think that perhaps in England we've sort of lost that connection with where our food comes from? I think it's coming back. Mm. You know, and I think uh, what's interesting to me is that people here are talking about this, you know, the, the, or, the, or, the importance of your local food and the importance of the seasonality of food and the importance of the producers and all of this as if they just discovered it. And it's quite entertaining to me. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, you know, like, it's so obvious yeah. to anybody who has spent any time in Italy or who has grown up in Italy with the way we, we think about food and the way our food philosophy is that, you know, it's quite, it, 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 you know, it, it's happening over here. It's happening. It's going to take time. Um, it needs to be a lot cheaper. Yes. You know, it's all very well to say, you know, you can buy uh, English made charcuterie made here from, you know, British raised pork and blah 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 but you know if it's five times the price of a packet of um, prosciutto di parma then you know yeah. <laughs> mind you, you know, now that we're in the post-brexit horror um who knows <laughs> what's going to happen with the prices you know in 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 the months and years to come yeah I mean, so that... maybe it'll all balance out after all but yes there is definitely a a, a strong resurgence of the of the respect and understanding for one's what the food of one's country and the you know and and as you say food food as being something much more than just something that you have to do because it nourishes you and it keeps you going you know yeah yeah i think maybe that may be just one of the maybe only positives that sort of come out of the, out of the pandemic is that you know people maybe have taken time to take a step back look at their lives a little bit and hopefully start to realise sort of what's important to them and what's just peripheral stuff, what's luxuries that maybe they don't need, perhaps. Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. And, and people have been forced to spend more time cooking, uh, you know, at home cooking. And, and, you know, that can get boring if you don't um, use a little imagination. Yeah you, yeah, you can't have sort of fish and chips every night. I mean, one, no. one, one of the things that did make me laugh when I saw it on the British news was that, you know, that in the supermarkets, there was this panic buying of toilet rolls. Did that not happen in Italy then? No, surprisingly, the things that were out of... <laughs> 
<laughs> Surprisingly, the things that were out of stock in Italy were um, anything to make minestrone with. Right. Uh, and fresh yeast. When oh, the, oh, right. Yes. When, when the pandemic hit, that was it. You couldn't get those for love, no money. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, I, I, was very, I was very amused by the obsession with making sourdough that happened over here. I mean, I, I write um, a, a monthly piece for an online magazine. And uh, I did write a piece about how you didn't have to make sourdough. It wasn't compulsory, but if you wanted to, by all means, yeah. you know, it became really quite kind of like obsessive, this, this thing of, you know, everybody making sourdough yeah. and posting pictures of it and everything. I think, and, it's, I think it's, as you said, sort of like the hipster tag that's attached to it as well. I think, you know, like I said to... Trouble. That's the trouble. There's no hipster tag attached to all of this in Italy, you see. Yeah, it's just, it's just, just proper food, if you like, you know, to real authentic, yeah. just, you know, it's just, it's just as it should be. Yeah. Whereas, as you say, in the UK, it often just, it just gets this hipster tag, you know, and people, I mean, I've had the most extraordinary conversations with people about, you know, things like, their, their opinion of the difference between buffalo mozzarella and and uh, and fior di latte, you know, and I think, you, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> it's like let's have some perspective about this. Really. Yes, yes, please yeah. let, please let's, yeah. you know. I don't know. It's, there it's, are food it's, banks. There are people who are very hungry. Please let's keep this all in perspective. Yeah. I think probably sort of social media might be to blame for a bit because maybe the the sourdough that's come out of the bread basket is a little bit more Instagrammable um, rather than maybe just a, a, a tin loaf that you've made, for example, out of just flour, yeah. flour, yeast and water. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's maybe some people pushing followers. But, yeah, if if at the end of the day it, may, it helps people to to reconnect, that, that can only be a good thing. Of course. But, but of course. As, as you said, maybe with a dose of a reality check as well. Yeah. Really, yeah. As well. <laughs> really, yes, absolutely. And, you know, that's one of the beautiful things I find always about particularly being in a, in a region like Calabria, because it is, it is so real. You know, there is nothing, basically. Yeah. It's a very poor, poor region, but it's full. It's, it's bursting with generosity. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it, those marvellous vindulare at the side of the road selling just, you know, just a few tomatoes and a few courgettes from their, from their little patch of land. It's just blissful. Yeah. And they it, taste a thousand times better than anything I've ever tasted at any of the, you know, uh, from, from Borough Market or Waitrose <laughs> or anything. Yeah. It's a totally, a completely different thing. And it's cost me less than less than two euros you know yeah. as you said it's great because oh you can you can hear so first the burst of the ape's engine as it yes. as it struggles up the hill yes yes uh, yes and, and then whatever calabrian folk music of choice they've decided that they're going to play for the day so it's that right okay lisa time for us to get our veg i think possibly yes. <laughs> so have you have you traveled in calabria extensively then because i mean um, Quite a bit. With my original BBC series, we based ourselves, when we did Calabria as part of the regional Italian series, mm. um, we, uh, we based ourselves in Reggio. Okay. And uh, we did... Just, uh, just down the road from me then? Yes. 
which is an absolutely beautiful city. If people haven't been, hmm. you know, it's one of those beautiful forgotten part places. You know, people always go back to, you know, Florence, Rome, Venice, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, all these fantastic, these jewels. Yeah. And just, I just... think Reggio Calabria really is one of those. It's a yeah. beautiful, beautiful city. Yeah, I mean, right, yeah, as you said, I think people, when they visit Italy, they just sort of, you know, think maybe they're one of the olden gentries doing the grand tour. So maybe, yeah. as you said, tick off Florence, Rome and Venice and things like that and then move on. But sorry, you, you were telling me about Calabria, sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, so, so yeah, so I, I you know, I, I, know, I know it's a little, not, not, not very much, but I have, you know, I have wonderful images of it in my mind. Um, and then, as I say, I know the I know that strip of coast along um, La Mezia Terme, Tropea, mm -hmm. and, and all along there to um, what's the name of that little town with the castle at the other end? Uh, begins a begins with an A. On the way to Cosenza, uh, Anamatea, possibly. Anamatea, yes. yes. Oh, yeah. oh, fantastic! It's beautiful. Did Did you ever get to Schiller? On your visits, I've not ever been to Schiller yet. No. Okay. If you if you do get the chance to come back over again, Schiller, which is just down the coast from Tropea, so it's on yeah. the way on the way to Reggio. Beautiful little, um, yeah, it's a beautiful um, town, coastline town. It's got a castle suspended on mm. a rock in the in the centre of the sea. And then when you go under the underpass, which has got the railway line on top. You yeah. then you then walk into what was the olden fishing village as well, uh -huh. and it's called the Venice of the South because if you go on top of the hill, because yes. it's, got, it's got all the little alleyways leading down to the sea, it looks like sort of dried up canals that are going. Oh, down to... just beautiful! Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. It is so, and and fear not, I shall be back. You know, a big piece of my heart is is there i've given it to calabria and i will be back because i just love <laughs> i love the fact that it's not crowded that it's not you know super trendy that it the food is fantastic mm. the wine is delicious oh god and, yes. <laughs> and the sea the sea is just gorgeous just so wonderful just, yeah you know, it, it's nicknamed the Violet Coast because you can see when you just sort of approach the sea, it's it's crystal clear and, and yes, yeah, yes. absolutely gorgeous. But I yeah, you know, I completely agree with you about the food and the wine down here as well, because you know people warned me in the north of Italy. It's like you know don't go down to Calabria, there'll be beasties there, <laughs> <laughs> you know that sort of thing. But yeah, on my blog, I, you know, part of the thing on my blog is banging the drum for Calabria because it's, it's forgotten by, you know, most English tourists. But the, the food down here is, is magnificent, incredibly yeah. cheap as well. Incredible. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and because I lived for a bit in Asia as well, I like the fact that, you know, there's, there's more, it's spicier down here as there's well. There's more chilli. Do you like that? I have several families that I visit down there, friends that I visit, and I love that ritual of uh, that they all seem to have of going via the chili bush yes. on the way to the table, picking their chilies that they're going to add to their food, and then they use their side plate, like what would be your bread roll plate, you know, yes, yes. Um, topping up their chili individually to add to their food as they're eating. I find that completely 
so charming. It's, it's and, gorgeous. I, I and, and, and the Calabrian chili is quite different to any chili from anywhere else. <laughs> I mean, it's not as hot as some, yeah. but it's got real intensity of flavour. That lovely triangular shape. I just, I'm crazy about it. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, and she said it's got longevity as well to it as well, whereas most, most chilies sort of burn out after a little while. That, that lingers yeah. around yeah. for a long yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I, I came across that tradition the first time I had um, Stockafisa here. Oh, yes. Yeah, and I they said, said, oh, do you like it? Do you like it picante? It's like, well, yeah, yeah, I do. And so it came, and then the plate was put down in front of me, and I thought, I thought just looks like a normal fish stew to me. And then, yeah. as you said, then as you said, the, the, the side plate with chilies then arrived, <laughs> so that you know, so you can just add to it as well. Um, talking about the wine as well, again, completely agree with you on that one. We, we've been lucky enough to um, make friends with a local wine producer as well, sort of twenty minutes drive just up into the. I saw the pictures on your on your site. Oh, your... yeah, yeah, he's yeah, um, fantastic. I just wanted to be there immediately. <laughs> but if if you do if you do come back over, Valentina, I'll send you his details because he's, okay. he's he's an absolutely brilliant guy. Nino, you know, went there just to pick up some wine, and then was, you know six hours later, eventually it was like, no, Nino, we have to go now. <laughs> <laughs> we can't have any more food. <laughs> Yeah, we can't, yeah, and it's getting dark, and really, we don't yes. want be, we don't <laughs> we don't want to be driving down the mountainside. No, and, no. Yeah, sort of meeting an ape or somebody with a Fiat Fiat Uno four by four on the way back up. Yes, yeah, exactly. with eight yeah. people in it. Yes, it was great. But just to sort of moving on from from your childhood, then Valentina. So you know. I think you can be described as sort of one of the trailblazers for Italian food in England. What yes, was... uh, can I tell you the moment when I realised I was? Go on, yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, the, the series was on the BBC, the book was at number one, you know, it was all going on for me. The series was on Monday nights, primetime Monday nights, and then repeated again on a Wednesday. Okay. So, you know, it was really happening for me. So, um... There I am, it's, I don't know, it's a weekday evening and I'm in London and I'm on my way to cook, to have dinner with some friends. And on the way, I suddenly remembered that I had, um, I promised I would make pudding. Okay. I didn't have any ingredients. So I screeched into a, a Tesco store. Okay. Thinking, as I'm running, I'm thinking, what am I going to cook? What am I, I need, I need, I need, uh, I need. You know, I'll make some form of tiramisu. You know, I need some mascarpone. You can always do something with mascarpone. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I, I ran to the, you know, the cheese section, and the mascarpone section was completely empty. So I thought I panicked, and I thought, oh, you know, I'm rethinking now. You know, thinking, uh, you know, well, maybe something with the golf I don't know. Anyway, I noticed a, a, an assistant, so I walked over to her and I said, "Excuse me, do you happen to know?" if you've got any more mascarpone in the back, because I, I need some and none on the shelf. Hmm. He exploded. She said, it's that, she didn't know who I was. She didn't recognize me. She said, it's that bloody woman on the television. Ever <laughs> since she's been on the television, people <laughs> in here wanting mascarpone, more <laughs> mascarpone. I've, I, you've no idea. She's got mozzarella, 
Palmer, I mean, they just, that's all they want. It's all because of that bloody woman on the television. <laughs> and I just thought, right, that's it. I've arrived. You know, this, yeah. is, my, this is my moment in uh, Tesco. Oh, God. So, so Delia wasn't the first. You were, you were the trailblazer as far as that was concerned. <laughs> as far as that woman was concerned, anyway. <laughs> Uh, I mean, so, yeah, what was, what was Italian food like in Britain when you were growing up? Because, I mean, obviously, we still have the crimes against Italian food, like putting cream in Yes, well, I'm lucky enough not to be living here. Uh, you know, I, I arrived when I was sort of 18, more or less, hmm. and then drift, spent many years drifting back and forth, back and forth, until I had children, and that's what settled me here, and now I'm a grandmother I'm even more settled here I suppose but you know before then I, I was sort of able to flick back and forth a bit more freely but and you know I, I so during my growing up years I would visit and you know visit for brief periods of time and I, what I remember about Italian food then was that there was a lot of something called polo sorpresa which remains a total surprise to me because <laughs> I've never actually come across it in Italy anywhere, certainly mm. not in the interpretation that it was presented to me in Italy. Um, I remember phoning my mother in a complete panic because somebody had very kindly served me a, a, a plate of uh, toast with pasta from a tin poured on top. Oh my God. You know, spaghetti on toast. And I remember phoning my mother in an absolute panic, asking her, you know, what, what, you know, what did she think of this? Uh, it was pretty horrific. You know, it was, uh, it was, <laughs> there was a lot of cream on everything. Mm, yeah. Um, which was so, you know, bizarre to me. I mean, yes, we do have dishes with pasta and cream in Italy, but they're, very few and far between, and uh, they're for very special occasions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's sort of more, more of a well, as, as it may be a huge generalization, but more sort of a, a French thing to chuck cream at a, at a dish. Maybe. It's, just, it's just a very easy way to cover up cooking that's not very good, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you know, throw some cream on it, and it'll be edible, sort of yeah. thing. Um, is, is by so yeah you know it was it was pretty bad uh you had to really struggle to find um some you know something that you could actually recognize as being authentically italian um really i mean you know, lina's was there camisa was so if you went into soho you know you could find these these old italian delis that were stocking the ingredients and then mm. it was a question of doing it yourself really yeah but gradually gradually you know thing i think the trouble was that the restaurateurs the original restaurateurs had to cook to fit the british demands and the british palate you know yes yeah obviously and the british palate wasn't ready for pistol it, mm. it wasn't you know it wasn't ready wasn't ready for Nduya. It wasn't ready for lots of things. Somehow they needed to travel more. You know, British people needed to travel more and go out and experience eating proper linguine, I frutti mare, but on the beach in uh, in Lerici or something, rather than you know, in the middle of Manchester. And yeah. 
and, and, that, and that it's a big difference, you know. And then they would come back and, and, and demand those changes be made of the... Because a good restaurateur will always listen to his customer and will, you know, realise that something's changing and that something is being asked for and, 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 and act accordingly. And then, you know, it, it sort of began to change. And it's been incredibly fast. Mm, yeah, I mean, I when think... you think about it, you know, I landed here in the late 70s and look at it now. Yeah, you as know. you said, a complete sea change, you know. Totally. And, you know, that is what Italy is really, you know, that is something that Italy can, can rightfully be incredibly proud of. Mm. You know, it's its ability to, to, to just make these changes and adapt and, and, and you know, rise to the occasion yeah. in, in such an amazing way. I mean, you, you sort of have the flip side as well. I mean, you know, you, you probably do the same thing when you travel. But if, if I'm visiting anywhere in Italy, if I go into the big cities and I pass by a cafe or a restaurant that has a tourist menu, I, I give it a wide berth. But I, I remember being, when I was living up north in Italy, going into a restaurant in Bologna with this really extensive menu. And me and my wife were sort of listening into this English couple really sort of being sort of frantically whispering to each other next door. Um, and I could hear them call the waiter over and sort of say to him, sort of like looking through this, and he was sort of saying to the waiter saying, oh, you don't have any spaghetti bolognese on your menu. <laughs> He said, we're, we're in Bologna, we don't, you don't have any spaghetti bolognese. He says, oh, well, you know, yeah, so, but, um, you know, would Sir like to have the tagliatelle alla ragù instead? Yes. And he went, no, no, I definitely want spaghetti bolognese. <laughs> so, so, so eventually, I know, you know, I took pity over on him and just sort of went home and said, look, yeah, it, this is English, that's the English interpretation of tagliatelle alla ragù. You know, this this is the actual traditional dish. Try it, you like it. And then bless his cotton socks, he thanked me afterwards. Good. He, he Good. said he really, really liked it. So so yeah, it's it's maybe thinking about sort of, you know, as I said, sort of, you know, getting the trends over to England and then then improving Italian food as well. So you Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the one of the ones that always springs to mind for me in that way, that in terms of trends is, you know, balsamic. When I was training as a chef in Rome, mm. as a youngster, in Rome, we had heard of balsamic, but it was those weird people up in Modena. And, you know, <laughs> everybody else, it was still a laxative because that's what it was used for, as a laxative. Mm. You bought it at the chemist. And for us youngsters... It was, you know, hilariously funny that those strange people in Modena put laxative on their salad. You can imagine, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but then look what happened. Yeah. It's a Italy discovered it. Yeah. And, you know, Italy ran with it. And now it's on crisps. It's probably in ice cream. It's, you know... Yeah. It's a sort of global phenomenon, and more power to them, frankly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's got to the stage now as well, sort of with balsamic vinegar, where people are maybe getting the hips to tag with that as well, sort of trying to buy their balsamic by the provenance of, of the mother yeast in it as well. So, it, yeah. But as, as you said about balsamic, it's, you know, you go into the supermarkets in England now, and you can sort of see rows upon rows of Italian ingredients. Yeah. I, rem I remember my daughter ringing me up from England 
where I told her, she said, right, okay, for this recipe, you'll need some balsamic vinegar. And she said, right, go and set up, call me frantically from the supermarket. <laughs> she said to me, which, which vinegar should I get? I said, just look, it says balsamic vinegar on the label. She said, yeah, but which one? I said, just look on the label, it's balsamic. She said, no, there's 20 different bottles here with balsamic. No. So when, when it sort of hits the, the supermarkets in that sort of, yeah, in that sort of way, you, you really know that sort of the, the trend has hit. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you mentioned as well, so just, just going back a bit, Valentina, you said sort of, you know, it's, it's people, um, you know, had to learn how to cook the Italian food in their own home. Um, obviously, you know, you've done this professionally, but for sort of little minions like me, what do you think sort of the best tip for a home cook, do you think? With Italian food? Yes, please. Yeah, if you can, yeah, Italian food. Well, Italian food is the don't mess with it school of cookery, right? Mm-hmm. It's all about really, re honestly, genuinely, local seasonal ingredients, the best you can afford at the time, Mm -hmm. cooked as simply as possible really that's it you know it's not really more complicated than that and that is actually really difficult if you are the kind of person who who can't who finds it hard to trust that you know mm. and, and 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 whose hand is quivering towards the, the you know the other the other condiments and adding, <laughs> you know, wanting to add more stuff you don't need to add more stuff. That, that's the point about yeah. Italian, is that you don't need to add more stuff, yeah. as long as the ingredients themselves are really good. Yeah. And it's about simplicity. And, I, and of all of the many, many years now that I've been teaching people to cook, I run, I teach, I was teaching before the pandemic, I was teaching at nine, 10 different schools around the country here. Um, prior to that, I had my own cookery school in Italy for many years, which I mm. absolutely loved. It was, you know, the best thing ever. Um, and, and, and teaching people to that, that less is more is actually a lot more difficult than it sounds. Always <laughs> <laughs> want to add. What yeah. do you mean? I'm just, I'm just going to serve it like that. Yes, you're just going to serve it like that. You're going to trust, you know, that you've got the cooking time right and you chosen the right ingredients and you're just going to let it go yeah um obviously there are exceptions to that you know to make a good arancino for instance it's a very difficult thing mm -hmm. um to make good gnocchi gnocchi that i don't understand this 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 current you know uh, trend for frying them yeah it's gnocchi yeah it, it doesn't make oh. sense to me <laughs> no. you never you never see it in italy so why <laughs> Exactly. Why? You know, uh, they have to float like little angel burps, you know, they're little, mm. tiny little burps that float up to the surface and, you know, you say a Hail Mary and then take them out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, they have to be that, they have to be that light. Um, and that's very difficult to achieve if you've never done it before and haven't had some practice. Making fresh pasta is still my most popular cooking class. It's still mm. the one that gets the most people um, turning up. Um, and people are very surprised by how difficult it is. Yeah. And, and they're very surprised at the difference between a packet of spaghetti, dried pasta, as in 
durum wheat flour and water mm-hmm. and soft wheat pasta, fresh pasta, you know, uh, containing eggs. And that's yes. what makes the difference. Because obviously the egg, the, the egg pasta is more north than the, the durum yes. pasta stamp. The egg pasta is the one you could make by hand at home. And the other one you have to make in a factory. You're never going to achieve that, making yeah. that. And then down south where you are, of course, you have all the strozzapets, strascinati, caratiedi, the orecchiette next door in Puglia that are, you know, something else again. Yeah. But I think you personally, and I don't mean this disrespectfully in any way, but personally, I think you need to have the digestion of an Italian southerner to cope with those on the long term <laughs> basis because they are pretty heavy going. Yes, yeah. You know, it, it, it's it, very thick. Some of them take 45 minutes to cook, you know, compared to a tagliatella that takes a minute. So you know, you're getting me. It's you know, it's a different thing. I mean, they're delicious, they're absolutely wonderful. But yeah, you know. you, you, you're, <laughs> you're definitely given a warning with the cooking time. But it yeah. was. I mean, I, I made I'm I made the mistake at one point. It wasn't a mistake because it was a really enjoyable afternoon. But I decided that I'd ask one of my Italian friends. I wanted to have um, an Italian cooking lesson from their nonna because oh. so. <laughs> So, you know, I've been given a pasta machine as a Christmas present. So I thought, right, now is the time to make pasta. And I have never felt so much like a small child and since I broke a vase at my mum and dad's house. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, everything I was doing was completely wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, you know, what was absolutely mechanical, you know, that she, that she just does this every day. Um, yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, totally. So it was that point I thought, no, I can't do fresh pasta better than the Italians. I'm just going to, you know, just go and buy it from the local shop because it's <laughs> plenty fun. It means I'm not ended up sort of covered head to foot in double zero flour and pasta dough trying to trying to perfect yeah. it as good as the pasta grannies yeah. nearby as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, and the other, the other thing I was going to say was... Um, you know, going back to techniques and things, you know, risotto's another one. I mean, I, you know, I was, uh, uh, Beppino, the famous Beppino I mentioned oh, okay, before, yeah. he was a risotto chef at Savini before the war. You know, Savini in the Galleria in Milan, he was oh, the risotto chef there. I know it very well, yeah. So I was taught to make risotto by Beppino, the Savini way. And, oh my uh, God. And that makes me, I am the risotto queen. I mean, I could bore you for several hours. We could do an entire podcast just on the subject of risotto because I really can bore you for several hours. I might take you up on that at some point, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's my thing. It's, it's, yeah. uh, I, think, I think risotto is the sex bomb of Italian cookery. You know, it's, mm. uh, it's so sensual and so sexy and, and so incredibly versatile. I just think it's a fantastic dish cooked properly, you know, and that means that you will wait for 20 minutes while somebody makes it. Yeah. It's not one of these things you can just cook off the hoof as well. It's, as you said, it's just the love and the, you Absolutely. Know. The dedication. Yeah. You know, it, it requires the same commitment as, as, as making love, frankly. Yeah. You know. It's, and it's, if you're not in the mood, don't bother, because life is already too full of disappointments. 
yeah, I, yeah, sort of liken it to making bread then. If, if you're not in the mood to make bread as well, you sort of, you know, you ruin that at the same time. But, uh, just just cut sort of two or three other questions just to finish off then, Valentina, oh. just if you've got time. Just, um, obviously, sort of, you, you love cooking, but everybody has to have a night off at some time. If you could put, pick your favourite meal when you eat out, what do you think that would be? Mamma mia. Well, <laughs> anything at all cooked by either Theo Randall or Giorgio Locatelli. Oh, Giorgio, bless his cotton socks. And Theo as well. Both of them, absolute, more than heroes for me. You know, they are extraordinary. Extraordinary. Theo, perhaps even more so because how does somebody that English cook that Italian? You know, <laughs> you know it just is unbelievable. Most English people who cook Italian food for me, I can tell. Mm. There's something, there's something about the way in which they've seasoned it or something about this, this, this obsession of adding more stuff that, that you know, and not this ability not to hold back that, that I can tell. Yeah. Leo, he, cook, he really does cook like an Italian. So anything at all that they cook. Um, I am mad about seafood. Mm-hmm. So anything, anything at all that is uh, connected to the sea and seafood would be incredible. And uh, it has to be pistachio ice cream for dessert. My soulmate, exactly. One of the one of the things, as I said, down here, the swordfish and the tuna is just magical. Yeah. And then, as soon as the pistachio gelato appears in my local gelateria, I'm there banging on the windows. Just. <laughs> just oh, and my starter would have to be something with figs. Okay. Figs and ham. Yeah. Salami. Yeah, as you said, something. No. Figs and something. Yes. Oh. Beautiful and simple, oh. as, you, as you said before. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So thinking about as well, sort of, you know, the, there's this obsession with kitchen gadgets at the moment, people buying mushroom brushes for some godforsaken reason. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, are you going foraging? You know? <laughs> are you going to go foraging, A, B, yeah. do you know what you're foraging for? C, are you going to kill yourself? Yeah, I, are you actually going to make your way back again? Because if you don't yeah. know what they are, don't touch them with a barge pole. But, no, it, was, but it, was, it was sort of linking in to, um, to just thinking about your kitchen at home. What sort of three things in your kitchen could you not do without, Valentina? So there could be gadgets, ingredients, machines, anything. Well, my knife. Yeah. Okay. My knife was made for me in, uh, in Germany. It's, it's, it's German steel in Solingen. It was made to the shape and weight of my hand, to my, to, to my use. So it is, it's, my, it's absolutely my knife. Oh, God. Um, uh, and I would really hate to lose that. Um, my pestle and mortar. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a wood pestle and mortar that I that I bought from a street vendor in in Cape Town. Okay, brings back fantastic memories of uh, of being in South Africa. What an amazing country it is! Um, and it's very good for grinding small amounts of things because I live alone. So you know, although I absolutely love cooking for myself, 
Mm. I'm cooking in, I'm normally cooking in, in smaller quantities, you know, than I'm used to. Um, and uh, wherever I go in the world, always, all my life, I've always bought a, 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 a cooking utensil okay. to bring her to my kitchen. So it can be something big, it can be something small, but it's something to remind me of the plate. I don't, you know, it's not, it's not a statuette of something. It, it's, a, it's actually a working, a working tool. And um, I have something from India that I've, that I've never actually used because I've never had cause to use it, but it's a Carolyn coconut knife. Okay. And uh, it's a beautiful ornament. And it, it, it's it's on a it's on a stand of, of mango wood, mm. and it's a blade that curls up. So you basically crouch on the ground and bring the coconut to the blade. If you see what I mean. Oh, okay. Yeah, I get the idea. Um, I've, and I watched them using it in Kerala, which, it, by the way, don't ever go to Kerala if you don't like coconut because you know. <laughs> you'll starve um it, it, it's quite literally in absolutely everything i love it but i i traveled with my son it was my last you know long holiday just a deux, my son and i and he loathes coconut and had a had a really rough time on the tour but anyway it was three weeks longer he was very thin by the time we got home um <laughs> but uh but yeah, that that's my other thing that I would I would really hate to lose. But but you also have to remember that uh, in the last few years, I've uh, before all this madness of COVID, I was running the backstage kitchen at lots of big food festivals, looking after chefs and doing their preparation. And so the amount of equipment that I have is yeah. quite phenomenal. Yeah, astronomical. Because I mean, you've done courses up at up at the School of Artisan Food as well at Welbeck. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's a beautiful place. Yeah. Absolutely extraordinary place there. And of course, I teach with my friend Richard Bertinet in uh, at his school in Bath. I know that you've spoken to him recently. Yeah. Um, and then uh, in Limpsfield at the at the Limpsfield Cookery School and at La Cucina Caldesi in London. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, Hopefully you know. Hopefully they'll all come back soon. Fingers <laughs> crossed. We, we can speriamo, pray. Speriamo tanto. <laughs> exactly. Let's pray to the food gods. I yeah. Mean, yeah. I mean, I never got to do one of your courses because I used to live in Nottingham. So obviously the, the School of Arts and Food was, oh, yes, yes. Was, was within spitting distance for me. And I used to know Joe, who used to be the director there. At, so but that was a, a few years ago. Joe Pilero. That's the gentleman. That's him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Love Joe. Yeah, he's recently left, unfortunately, but for the second time. Yeah. So maybe there'll be a third time. Maybe he'll come back and leave. <laughs> <a couple>. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? But as I say, we can, we can only pray to the food gods. But Indeed. And, and on that subject then, Valentina, sort of final, final question. So, you know, taking into account our prayers and hopes to the to the to the god of covid and everybody else what what are your plans for this year then well i was hoping that we were going to have a, a summer like last year which which you know in that wonderful sunshine hardly made you miss the mediterranean at all mm, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. maybe really? maybe 
Maybe grow <laughs> webbed feet, perhaps, in England at the yeah. moment. But This year is just too much. And it's really got me down, I have to say. And I've noticed a lot of people are, you know, not as uh, upbeat as they were this time last year. And I'm putting it largely down to the fact that they, you know, the, the, the foul weather on top of everything else is really something else. Anyway, uh, so my... I, I have a, a marvellous friend, my ex-sister-in-law in, um, in Milan, mm -hmm. uh, what's up to me the other day and she said, uh, I really miss you, you know, why did you come to Milan? And she said, oh, better still, I'm going to Greece, why don't you come and join me there? So within two hours I booked a flight. Hooray! <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm going to fly in, I mean, you know, I've, I'm double vaccinated. I, you know, I'm, I, I, it's okay. I can do the quarantine when I come back, you know. So I'm going out to Greece uh, later this month for uh, 10 days or so. It's not, it's not Italy, but, you know, it's close. And mm. it's the island of Folegandros, which is one of the most popular ones with Italians. And so there's a lot of very good Italian food available. As okay. Nearly, nearly, nearly. Um, and uh, then I'm, you know, I'm just sort of waiting for, I, I've got several book, book contract ideas out there that I'm waiting to hear back on. And I'm waiting for the cookery schools to, you know, kick back in really and start, start again. Uh, but, you know, yes. I, yeah, I, at the moment, you know, I'm writing my, um, my monthly piece for Platinum magazine. I do these other online magazine pieces and i'm teaching at the few cookery schools that have reopened yeah. waiting for everybody else to sort of you know like like everybody else sort of kicking your kicking your heels and just keeping yeah, your fingers you know, crossed it'll, it'll take time but hopefully yeah you know yeah. and i was growing a lot of vegetables but you know the slugs have had everything in the rain so <laughs> that yeah, it's, it's like the meme on Facebook I've seen before. It's like, it says the anatomy of a slug. It says hand, head, tail, and then in the middle, all my <clears throat> in vegetables, basically. Exactly. Yeah, that, that, that's it. Didn't happen last year. You know, it was hot and sunny and dry. So. I mean, Thank maybe, you. Thank you. <laughs> maybe over in here in Italy, maybe it's too hot. We don't suffer from slugs here. So whatever we grow here, it's not decimated by them, but is decimated by the Labrador who lives downstairs. Oh, it's and not your Labrador then? No, it's, it's, the, it's the Labrador of the people we rent the apartment from. Okay. But, she, but, but she's adopted us, bless her cut and sock. She's, she's currently snoring on our tiled floor at the moment, trying to keep Lovely. her to bless her. Lovely. Well, thank you very much for your time, Valentina. You've been more than generous with your time. Oh, um, thank you, Craig. No, who knows? I'm we'll so jealous of where you are. <laughs> well, if, if you do come back over to Calabria, you know, as I say, our door's open and I can definitely point you in the right I, direction of people to see in, in Calabria fantastic. as well. And who, okay. knows, oh, who knows, we might have a chat about risotto again at some point. Anytime. All right, brilliant. Thank, thank you very you. much for your time. Thank Buona you. Buona giornata. Grazie. Ciao, ciao. Thank you to Valentina for being such a wonderful down-to-earth guest. To be honest, we chatted for so long, I almost had enough for two full podcasts. If you like what you've listened to, please do review, comment, and maybe rate us five stars to spread the word. Please also subscribe to, so you get your next podcast the minute it comes out. So, until next time, ciao!